0: So what can I do for you, Mayor? Two more girls are gone. We just ask around, see if anyone suspicious been on the streets trying to pick them up. Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: I brought you a gift basket. Hoagies from Les cheese cheesesteaks from Cocos. I know you like her. I see the way you look at her. Mayor, uh, I'm showing you all of my cards, and you are showing me none. I'm trying to help you out here. Help me, or help yourself.
0: That's that priest I was telling you is about.
1: Hey, father. I you got yourself a little altar girl. Yo, I'm talking to you, you pedophile.
0: Oh. You remember anything about the vehicle? What can you tell us about him? You smoked Winston's. There. I can feel it happening. Yeah, like panic, like this expectation from people to be something I don't think I'm good enough to be maybe you could be my mom for a second what's going on i didn't know when you asked me before i swear i didn't know what didn't you know
1: what would you say to that detective nothing
0: the three of us we're joined together forever so why don't you get in the door oh! Welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles, probably best known for doing the long-running CBS show Criminal Minds. So I know all about casting detectives and killers and kidnappers of frightened young women. That's all in my wheelhouse. And with me today to discuss Mayor of Easton, episode five, which was kind of a shocker is my sexy beast brian a hill please say hello
1: hello everyone thank you thank you thank you for allowing us into your (laughs) home
0: yeah so you texted me and you went oh shit and i was like what what happened (laughs) and you were reacting to the pretty big goings on and i have to apologize to our our listener who wrote to me saying i keep saying the mayor of east town instead of mayor of east town so i'm sorry I stand corrected. Good work. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to go through this by, I just want to go through it kind of section by section before we get to, of course, that killer ending, because I have a (laughs) lot of things that I enjoyed, but certain things were a big red herring salad (laughs) and some things were definitely an homage, if not directly derivative of some other movies or things that I've seen before. I don't know if you agree with that. So this episode number five is called illusions. What do you think that's all about illusions?
1: For me, a good illusionist uses sleight of hand misdirection. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think there's a
1: lot of misdirection in this, the very first scene, Betty Curry dying.
0: Bossy Betty crashes her car into the pole. Yep.
1: Yeah. And for me, it it was funny. It wasn't until the funeral that I was like, oh, her. Clearly, this is, I don't think it's an accident. So you don't think it's
0: an accident? I I
1: don't think it's an accident because, again, that kind of misdirection. I think that there's clearly a lot more going on than just these, what were seemingly connected crimes. Right. right? There's a lot happening in this town. Yeah. And I think that's a part of it. And the fact of alluding to the guy in the hoodie in the first episode, who we think we re-see later on. So I think that to me, that's what it's about. It is that sleight of hand. We're seeing a lot of sleight of hand in this, in this episode, I think.
0: Yeah. And I also think to your point, I think there's actually a lot less going on than we think. You said there was a lot more going on. I think there's a lot less that case in point, we're going to get to like, who was the real peeper turned out not to be a peeper. It was something that was kind of put on this poor guy, but yeah, so Betty, Betty Crusher, I like that they send out the cop. (laughs) He was afraid of blood (laughs) to, (laughs) to get her to to see what happened. So it causes a blackout. And I love, even though we live in California and we have earthquakes all the time, I still don't know where my flashlights are. You'd think that by now I would know, but-
1: I'm so so ill-prepared. I don't have, in my apartment, I don't have a fire extinguisher. I don't have an earthquake bag, emergency bag. I don't have anything.
0: Yeah, I have some water. That'll, That'll help, but that's about it. So the whole town is plunged into darkness and- I love that they, little Drew is so upset because his turtle is loose (laughs) and and, and the mayor is like, oh great, there's going to be turtle shit everywhere. I love that. And we realized, so there's this moment and I have to say, darn it, I was going to clock this the first time I saw it, but I always knew there was something going on with Lori's son, who I feel like mayor sort of sees him as almost like a ghost of her son in a way there's all there is just something a little bit lingering too long on him in the previous scenes and so we see this this scene it's in the blackout and you see the husband with ryan i think is the boy's name and he's like you know it's just our secret it's just our secret now of course we're probably meant to think the worst about that right
1: Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was directly related to the killing necessarily, mm-hmm. but because of so many secrets. Yeah. But again, it's one of these things where they've been shining a light on those cousins. Yeah. And we see it in subsequent scenes, right? The other cousin.
0: Yeah, yeah, The yeah. light
1: shone on them. And so to me, it's a three card Monty. It's like, okay, where's the, where's the queen? You see the queen? Yeah. There's a lot of that happening. And yeah. this is just kind of one, one more part of that, one more piece of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I did like the, that little scene that they have with David Denman talking to his daughter, Siobhan. Just, he's sort of just checking in on her, and he's just so great. He's just so relaxed, but world-weary. We keep saying that throughout the show, but but they have this history, and that's what great actors can do. Without hardly any dialogue, you get a sense of the ease with them or the awkwardness, but there's a sense of history there that yeah. these eyes have seen... His son grow up so afflicted, and then take his own life, and that he knows that she's been there the whole time. I don't know. There, I just there's something lovely about this quiet little scene between them.
1: And we also now it's been alluded to the fact that there is trouble in the relationship mm-hmm. between he and his fiance at this point. Just a slight reference. We'll get through it. That the yeah, 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 on there.
0: So, and during this, the only other thing significant is that Mayor, she comes across, she's looking for the turtle and she comes across the iMovie, the documentary that Siobhan's making of her brother. And there's this, the casting in this is so, this is what I, this is my favorite kind of casting where they cast the flashback characters to look really similar to each mm-hmm. other. And that make that is so important to me because that kid, you know, nine year old, eight year old kid that's in this video that Mare's watching of her son as a kid. It looks just like the grown up actor. And yeah. and it also sort of harkens to Drew, his his son. And I just I love that attention to detail. Because some people don't care. They just throw in any kid and say, okay, just suspension of disbelief. That's the character. But it makes such a difference, I think.
1: It does. It the attitude could be like, well it's the kids on screen for a total of like two minutes, but, Mm -hmm. but it's important. I think Yeah, every part has to inform and complement the story. And so anything that takes you out of that needs to be examined and looked at.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So the next section is this whole scene with Mare and her therapist. And I always, I'm very, always struck by the wardrobe that they choose to put people in how Mare, you know, she's in her baseball gray beat up shirt, but the, the therapist is in this very bright, bright purples and blue tailored shirt. And it's just such a warm and vibrant color. And she's so understanding and just very, very available in the scene. I just love that contrast between Mare being in the sort of washed out, worn out, gray baseball shirt.
1: The the problem that I had with that scene is that based on our previous time in the therapist session, Mm -hmm. either I wanted to see a breakthrough or uh, a defrosting at the Mm -hmm. end of that session Mm -hmm. or an intervening session that got us to this point because she is mighty free with her talk about feelings Mm -hmm. in this session and i wanted to see a bridge Mm -hmm. between where we saw her initially right right right. and where she is now even if it was just that you didn't put in any other any other scene but the one that already exists if you put something where something profound that the therapist does that cracks her a bit in a way that she didn't expect.
0: Oh, I gotcha. Yeah.
1: That, that would have gotten us to where we are now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, I, so in this scene, there's a big reveal about the dad. I just assumed that he was shot in the line of duty and it's no, he took yeah. himself, his, he took his own life. And it was so, I think the writing here is so interesting because she says, I wasn't enough for him. What a s- interesting thing for a daughter to say, because that's something so much that a wife would say, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a- totally understandable that a child would think that it's my fault. I wasn't enough to keep him alive, but it's, oh boy, that was, that was hard. So now we have the pizza scene with all the friends coming together and having... <laughs> This pizza scene? Wow. There's a lot of suspicious things that get exposed here. It looks like Lori and her husband, John, might adopt DJ. For a second, I had to think, who the fuck is DJ? But it's the baby that Aaron had, but Dylan is not really the real father. It's also revealed that they kind of knew that Kenny was sort of abusive to Aaron, probably emotionally, probably a little physically abusive to Aaron, who's related to them, right? They're all cousins. And it's revealed that Aaron's mom was very stoic in her leukemia battle. And there you have shady cousin Bill sitting there, not drinking his beer, looking just as shady as shit why would you play? Look at play so shady. I don't get it in front of a friend who's a detective.
1: <laughs> yeah, I and again, I can't I can't help but feel like they're going, look over here, look over here. And our instinct yeah. is to go, Oh, it can't be then. It can't be that. And it really will be. Because it's just just the circumstances of Aaron living with him for months, him yeah. not wanting to talk about it. Some really hinky shit in his family.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next thing I want to talk about is the scene between Dylan and, I can't remember, Brianna, right? Brianna. Brianna the brash and Dylan the mopey. I love this actor who's playing Dylan. There's just something about him that is so complex to me because I couldn't tell if he was breaking up with her or if he just didn't want her pity. It was just such a complex scene for him to be playing and, and his confusion about now my parents want to adopt this kid who I thought was my son. So now is he going to be my brother. It was just a complex stuff.
1: The thing that I was struck by with Brianna and the realization that she can't go to college. And the thing that kind of clicked for me was so many of the people in this town are one bad choice away from actually having pretty good lives. They all had one bad F up and it changed the course of their lives forever. She's not going to college. She's Mm going to go to beauty school. And so the quality of her life is going to stay in this static point. Yeah. And there's so many characters that are like that.
0: Yeah. Obviously we don't really, I don't really like her character. I mean, obviously we're not. I'm not feeling too sorry for her because she was, she had it coming. She was so horrible, but it is interesting that you do see her vulnerability there for the first
1: time, obviously. Yeah.
0: yeah which is, which is great. It's like that a lot of teenagers who they want to be so adult and then boop. Okay, here you go. You're an mm-hmm. adult now.
1: Yeah. I
0: just love that, that feeling. Okay. So this, this next scene we're going to talk about the dungeon scene. I swear I must have cast a hundred scenes like this and it is a trope. Of this sort of victimization of of young girls and yet it happens, but anyway, so we have Katie taking care of the new girl who's in withdrawal and this does happen too. As part of her survival, Katie is just completely compliant by now. She's been broken. She's been trained. She knows that tonight's the poker night and he's not gonna try to have sex with them. This harkens right back to the case in, I think it was Chicago, wasn't it, Brian? Where those three women were held for years and years and- Oh, wait, I think it was Cleveland. uh, Cleveland, sorry, excuse me, yes, in Cleveland. And they were held for years and years and-
1: There's actually a a play that Terrence McNally wrote called Sweet Arrows. Uh It's like a one-act play. And it's basically this guy kidnaps this woman off the street, comes from Means. And basically we see over the course of this one-act play him breaking her down uh, and most of the play is her nude. Oh She's an incredibly vulnerable
0: oh my God. position on
1: stage right mm-hmm. but around the time that I remember being exposed to that play there was a case I think in Denton where a young woman had been kidnapped had been held I think would go would, would be taken out with the person who kidnapped her with a bag or something she was mm-hmm. left in the car when he would go grocery shopping and he finally got to the point where he thought that she could be trusted to go Mm -hmm. out without snitching on him and she wasn't there yet so she ran away from him and I can't believe how common is that
0: oh very common yeah
1: that's I find that incredibly disturbing
0: because people will fight I mean I just know this from my other podcast fight flight or just survive, you do what you can to survive. And only you know what that is in any- Oh, way. and I'm just,
1: at, I'm the commonality of the crime itself, kidnapping somebody, mm-hmm. holding them and yeah. breaking them down to such a degree that they are then compliant.
0: Yeah, you know I'm, reading I mean? a, I'm reading a book right now that I can't disclose what the title is because we're going to be covering it on Real Crime Profile, but it's it's almost this exact story. And Oof. out of the blue kidnapping of this woman and she's with her captor and- It's so manipulative. That's the thing. These offenders know how to manipulate you and play mind games with you until you're the only thing that they feel safe with.
1: Because there's yeah.
0: many other threats that they're... Anyway, so we have this scene with Mare meeting her CI or confidential informant or whatever, this old school sex worker who she's known forever. Uh, it was just a great scene. There's a great character actress there. who's going to try to help Mare, who's not supposed to be working this case, but but thinks that she's seen the latest kidnapped victim. Just a great scene. I love the color blue in this diner. I don't know. I, it's just... I love when there's like a saturation of a certain color. It just, I just, it just pops for me. And and this diner was this
1: vinyl blue, just loved it. That actress, Uh I think is a a kind of thankless role in a lot of ways. And I think she, just the simplicity of her performance Mm -hmm. and the kind of well-worn, the kind of casual quality of talking about these really extraordinary things, like it's her job. You know, and that's a function of the writing, obviously, but the performance is, again, kind of like what you are alluding to, an actor who, it just feels like the backstory. Exactly. The, you see the history, those kinds of things. It's like we're yeah. taking a peek. Somebody just kind of opened up the window and it, go ahead and just witness this conversation is exactly. in how it plays. Yeah, she's like, great. Yeah.
0: I'm a grandmother now. If you didn't know better, you would think that they were like old college friends. But anyway. Okay. So what did you think of this cafeteria scene where, oh my goodness, what's that character's name? Moira? The young girl. She's got Down syndrome. Oh. Now, isn't that her brother though? Yeah. Okay. Because that was a little bit of a weird moment for me because I would think that he would get up right away when she first drops the tray and run over to her, or she would come and sit next to him. So for me, it was a little bit strange that the way it was set up. But
1: it felt odd to me that Julia Nicholson's character wasn't informed. Yeah. He didn't inform her of what happened, why it happened. It was just the act of violence. Yeah. And so she attributed that to the dad's behavior, potentially, or the secret. Right. Yeah, that that lack of connection there, I thought, was odd. You alluded to this, I think, a couple episodes ago. It felt like there was a scene missing. Yeah. Me.
0: Yeah. To explain what that might be a little bit of a weird relationship. Either he can't, or maybe he he doesn't acknowledge her at school or, or I don't know something. Yeah. But so she, yeah, like you said, she picks him up from school, takes him to the park and he breaks down this kid. What a fucking great little actor he is. And she knows already what is wrong. We don't know, but what, and I'm just waiting like, no, they are not going to tromp out the daddy touched me. And no, they don't to the credit of the show, but it's that somehow he's witnessed his father's infidelity again, which is, again, it's not clear how he knows if he's seen the woman or something, somehow he's been tipped off. And
1: so the fact that he's a part of that story at all. And I'm just talking, I'm, I'm talking about the reality of that situation. The fact that he, as a young kid knows that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, oh, yeah.
1: that hits a kid hard. That hurts a kid.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And her line is, he's, is he doing it again? And then we find out. Yeah. Okay. We're at Bossy Betty's wake. <laughs> There's a great little detail in this scene where Jean Smart has her eyebrow. I don't, you probably wouldn't notice this, but she's got her eyebrows drawn on quite distinctively and you know obviously she's more made up than she normally is but I clocked that that's interesting that they really drew those on and everybody's at the wake and then all of a sudden there's this out of the blue disclosure from Bossy Betty's I know it's sort of a moment of levity in a very dark show and Mare gets a real kick out of it, the fact that her mother had a couple quickies with Bossy Betty's husband, but it it definitely felt, that felt a little
1: jarring. We've talked about this before where the show tries to interject comedy and it feels kind of forced or it feels awkward given the tone of the show and that anytime I see an actor laughing like that, yeah it just it felt so forced and it just didn't fit yeah you cut that scene and it's not it it doesn't take away from doesn't take away from the story for me
0: yeah i mean unless something is gonna pay off later i don't know it just gives gene smart a nice scene to sort of react to yeah so we have this date (laughs) with evan peters and mare and just before that this his character says it i'm like oh The only reason she's going out with him is to, is to pump him for information on the case and to tell him what to do. it hadn't occurred to me before, I thought it was a date date, but he's trying to make this really painful, small talk and jokes. And he drops like a piece of his salad on his lap or whatever. And she's just like, Hey, focus. (laughs) Let's just talk about the case. And he tells her, yeah, my mom, my mom was right. This is the only reason why you're out with me.
1: Yeah. The scene for me, I clocked the disparity in experience and an age. Uh Yeah. As they sat at the table, the picture didn't look just right.
0: Right. And I, I think probably it's not supposed to. Yeah. So, you know, the next big thing is we see, we don't see the fight, which I kind of appreciate that. We don't see the fight between Lori and her husband, but we see the aftermath where he's leaving, she's in tears, and that Lori has kicked him out. They have another flashback, right, of Mary's sort of still going to her therapist. You kind of see her in the therapy office again. You kind of see how she's kind of got this new routine down and she's has this flashback again of that scene in the bathroom where Kevin is screaming at her. And I don't remember noticing this before, but he looks like he's in so much pain as he's lashing out at her it just really really moved me that when she's cowering in the bathroom and crying but he looks like he's in as much pain just using different words to express it i thought that was really powerful yeah all right so now we have a a big revelation there's something (laughs) there's something going on with the teenagers in this town that we we didn't realize that jess who is Aaron's best friend has got some kind of relationship, some sort of secret going on with Dylan because they, They all get together and they go to Aaron's house and look for these notebooks. I don't know. I felt really weird that they have not given the actor, the other kid in this scene, a name. Like, I have no idea what his name is. He basically doesn't have any character. And he happens to be the black kid of the group. And I just thought, is there something missing? Like, he's been around, but who is he? It's just such an underdeveloped third wheel the stuff that was weird and then we see the deacon oh, oh what do you think of those towny kids there's another pizza scene where the deacon mark is going to pick up some pizza and there are these these teenagers there such townies and he gets his ass kicked They burn the notebooks. What what else? Oh, okay. And then, like we said before, the peeping Tom turns out it is a total misdirector. It's less than it appeared. It was never a peeping Tom. It was a man suffering from dementia who was just kind of wandering around looking for his, his house. And so Mare is things aren't what they appear. Right? Yeah. So now i'm not thinking that the cousin is the killer now so the deacon got his ass kicked and the other priest or the other reverend is there to sort of help him clean up and i'm sorry this happened to you and then there's this revelation big revelation that the deacon was with aaron the night she died so again i still don't he didn't kill her but he was with her i I don't know did you get that they were together together or just when he says i was with aaron
1: I took that to mean she was in my car. She was in my presence, not together romantically.
0: Right, right.
1: He was simply a ride. She wanted to go to the park. She was all hot and bothered. He wanted to take her home and she wouldn't hear of it and kind of went off into the park in a huff. That's why he still had her bike.
0: Right, you know? right. Okay copy that copy that so then there's a scene with zabel and mare go to talk again to her ci and a young sex worker who thinks that she can id the guy who maybe has taken the other girls she says that he's caucasian smokes winston's he's got a blue work van she has a partial plate and there's this little scene right after so that's that's a great break in the case mare and zabel go and kind of debrief after that meeting. And so a, a huge illusion is shattered here because he reveals that, well, he didn't really solve that case that he took credit for. It was actually somebody else's work and they happened to pass away. So he was able to take all the credit. Now, what'd you make of this scene between them?
1: I'm gonna work backwards. Yeah. Okay, so the fact that after he kisses her and says, how do you know what I want and walks away and by virtue of the fact that she makes her confession of the drugs, there's an expression on her face of not just respect, but interest. Mm-hmm. The fact that he would kiss her. We don't see Guy Pierce. well, I mean, they had sex, but we don't see Guy Pierce taking chances. The kids took a chance, yeah. right, to kiss her. And I think that she respects that. She respects the fact that he's standing up on his hindquarters, high, high telling her the truth. Like somehow that makes him the same yeah, As
0: her. yeah. He's not so squeaky clean. He's right. yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. He's got some dirt on his hands.
0: So the kiss comes right, I guess they get a call and like, oh, good news, there's only five blue vans with those partial plates in town. It was just such a, I I watched the moment over and over again because he gets this great news that they have a break and then he kisses her. Like it came out of nowhere for me. He just puts it on her and she's there for it. I just thought that was an interesting moment. But then as I texted you, I had a flash of this movie I haven't thought about in a really long time and it's called Copycat. And it's with Holly Hunter, kind of as the same beleaguered detective. And she's got this newbie partner played by a very young Dylan Mc... Nope, Dermot Mulrooney, sorry. Dermot
1: Mulrooney, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yep, and- I was gonna up too. Yeah, 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 I think everybody is. And when I thought of that movie, I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't end like that movie ends. That's why I, I got The Flash. I had this sudden sense of direness for him. So then we go to, okay, I didn't take any more notes. So let me just look at, let me just look at the actual scenes. Okay. So then they just go door to door looking to see who the, who the owner of the van could be and knock, knock, knock. Finally, they get to this place. Now tell me where this place, cause we've seen the sign before. Yeah. I recognize the sign and I bet if we go back, it's probably an Easter egg all over the place.
1: It was in the scene where the girl gets put into the basement. We see that sign. Oh,
0: you do. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. For sure. Oh, okay.
0: I thought at first I thought is this a bar that they've been going to? Like he's got a dungeon room in the in the bar, but anyway, so so they knock on the door and boy, what a great mug on this guy. We haven't seen this guy before, but he fits right into the town, the working class guy. But of course, now I'm reminded of another movie. Because he's got the sound blaring, blasting, and they come to the door and he lets them come in and then makes his way to the other room to turn it down. And I was like, this is Silence of the Lambs (laughs) all over again, except instead of just Jodie Foster, there's two cops there and they're doing the same thing. They're trying to cover, they know that they're in the right place because what they're looking around and they can see the Winstons, they can see, they can see signs that this, this is probably the, this is the profile of their guy. And it's this cat and mouse or cat and cat game as they try to figure out who's going to make the first sudden move. And we see the guy has got a gun in his back pocket. So what did you make of the next, even though I've seen a scene like this a million times, I was just on the edge of my seat for the rest of the thing, because the girls in the basement can hear these voices. And Katie's like, oh, this is, this is something, she knows that it's different. And they start banging on the pipes.
1: It's so, I mean, in the same way of, in the same way of the scene with Silence of the Lambs, you're charged, right? So as soon as it goes black and then the the night vision goggles come on, you're just hyper aware of how close the protagonist is to to being dead. And in the same way, when you realize he sees her on camera, he knows where she is. She's Mm -hmm. not armed. And because we've seen Zabel get it, I don't think I suspected I didn't think that they were going to kill her for sure, but how is she going to, it's the, how is she going to extricate herself from this? Are they going to keep this going? Uh Is the guy going to get away? Yeah. All of these things. And so that's what I was thinking as it was going
0: on. Yeah, I was shocked at the quick draw that he puts it bullet in Zabel's head. I was shocked. I thought, okay, in the nanosecond before he's shot and I see that he's going to get shot, I think, okay, he's going to get like a flesh wound to his shoulder or something, but boom, no. I mean, you know that it's a kill shot and yeah. that she's been nicked in her hand, which I think is was kind of interesting and that she's got to run around and she's got to be quiet so that she can stay one step ahead of him and yet try to text, because even if she calls, right, the, the, he'll hear her and then there's no way that the police will get there in time to save her. So it's right. better to be quiet and to be just trying to stave off as much time as possible. So I thought that was just breathless. And it's the same thing, kind of like in Silence of the Lambs. She she sees the the girls, but she can't help them just yet. I don't know if you remember in Silence of the Lambs, but it's kind yeah. of the same thing happens. And, and the girl's like, you
1: bitch, don't leave me yeah. down here. Yeah. 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 I And I was thinking, cause I did go to the interweb to see the commentary uh-huh. after the fact, after the episode and everybody was shocked. Yeah. The fact that Evan Peters character was, was killed off in that fashion. I, I don't think anybody was expecting it. And I, I was trying to piece it together. Of course, Game of Thrones was yeah one of those seminal series that did that, like a lead yeah. character being killed in a way that we didn't anticipate unless you read the the books Mm -hmm. but I was thinking when did this start when was and I I feel like the shield was kind of one of those Mm -hmm. early series where the first episode a lead character gets shot at the end Mm. and I wonder if we are are we now such an intelligent audience where that's kind of arrogant to say it sounds like no no you're absolutely right where it doesn't where it doesn't bother us and and in fact that I find it insulting that networks chose not to offered that in stories because somehow they were protecting the audience or they felt like the audience couldn't handle that because of a connection that they had to a character?
0: Yeah, no, well, they couldn't do it a network because you have a, you know, you have a series regular who's getting paid whether they're in the show well, I'm or not. About, but
1: I'm, I'm, I'm talking, when I say network, I mean like just series, just in general. Yeah. The Shield kind of ushered in the kind of platinum golden age of television, whatever you want to call it, and mm-hmm. The Sopranos and, and all of that, that yeah. kind of storytelling. But I find it fascinating that we still have this kind of element of surprise uh, that we're capable of. But to the writer's mind, this was necessary. This was a necessary step in this.
0: Yeah, it must must have been a hard thing to write though. In a way you can see it coming because he's got, he has this big disclosure that he's not the perfect and he really wants to do something great and be a hero. And he got to kiss the girl. And then of course, it's got to take a turn for the worst. In a way, you can see it coming, but yeah, it was definitely shocking. I I have to say that you reminded me that I think it was really, in a way, the movie Scream. Um, If you remember that the first scene is Drew Barrymore, and at the time, she was such a big star that when she's killed, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Scream, um, you know, she's killed in the first few minutes or whatever, the first couple scenes, and I think it was just so startling because you would just assume that she was... The girl that gets away yeah so it's definitely definitely effective we're at the end of this and Mare is just in a a fugue state she's just in shock and
1: what did you make of the the audio track playing
0: i don't remember what it was
1: it was kevin it was the audio from
0: oh, from the
1: documentary about right right jumping the lake one two three yeah
0: oh oh that's interesting i just for me it's just she's just experiencing a loss all over again not that they had, she had the same attachment, but you can see that that's, um, that's a connection. Oh, and that he dies with... You know he's really dead because he dies with his eyes open, which, of course, means you're really dead, right? Yeah. There's not going to be any heroics to yeah. save you. So, yeah, it's just... Inter- oh, man, this was interesting. I know we're complaining a lot about the red herring salad that we're served through parts of it, but I'm, it's so hard to tell a good detective story like you said we're too we're smart we're ahead of the game and we're second guessing and third guessing and it's hard to tell a good story so even with these tropes that come out i'm still so into her experience just experiencing her life as she goes through this
1: yeah i was thinking and this is the thing i posted a second blog talking about and i made sure that i noted that it was me talking about (laughs) using the the opioid crisis as a kind of backdrop as a kind of background for the and to me this episode exemplified the whole idea of how unnecessary to me that was because Mm -hmm. so much of the story is just happening the people are just happening they have they're in a blue collar kind of environment and and to me that's enough because it it hasn't really come back all that much
0: yeah not really I think just speaking for the writer, I have a feeling that he wasn't trying to address the opioid. It probably came across that way to you, but he was just trying to show the connection between Mare and the offenders and the victims, right? To introduce you to Beth and her brother, which I think that character kind of went nowhere, but only to sort of- And that's
1: what I, but that's yeah. what I mean. That's such an emotionally charged topic.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, you know, in the blog, I, I mentioned the fact, I don't know if you've seen this Crimes of the Crime of the Century, it's a two-part no, documentary wanna, series.
0: I want to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's yeah. enraging. It's yeah. absolutely enraging. But that, to me, and even then, it, it only touches on from the perspective of the crime, quote-unquote, committed, not only by the companies, but by the government. It touches on very little on the ground, those really horror stories, although they they do talk about it.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's you know probably I mean? a different POV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've yeah. we've certainly seen a lot of those on the ground stories that are heartbreaking enough. Well, that is that's a great rec. Bye, bye. I'm watching Ozark right now, and certainly there's a couple of oxy <laughs> users in that show. Have you watched Ozark?
1: I have it. I have three or four different queues, and yeah. anytime I go to them, I'm just so overwhelmed that I don't want to watch anything.
0: Dude, there's one episode in the first season. I'm not going to give anything away, but it's, I don't know, it's like episode eight or something. I thought of you so hard because it is structured in a way. I mean, if you ever watch the series, you'll know the episode. It is structured like a jigsaw puzzle. And it's it's a bunch of flashbacks and flash forwards that are not in, it's like, a, like somebody threw a deck of cards in the air. And it's it's really an outlier. No other episode is like that, and it's an outlier. And no scene makes any sense consecutively. Yet mm. you know exactly what's happening, and gotta, it's, it's so so cool. And
1: I, I got to tell you, I love Jason Bateman. I really oh my do. God, yes. Like everything yeah. that he's been in the last twenty years or so has just been just off the chart, incredible. He's- he really is.
0: And he just exemplifies that the difference between comedy and tragedy is just is just a hair. Somebody could be chasing you with a knife and it's hilarious. Somebody could be yeah. chasing you with a knife and it's terrifying, but yeah. the character is terrified in both situations. So yeah, he's he's brilliant. Okay, well, gosh, I don't think there's anything else to. So we're getting close to the end here. We're gonna—I just found out today, Brian, that HBO is gonna allow us to interview Susan Hegarty, who was the dialect coach oh, for nice. Kate Winslet. So she's gonna come with us, hopefully, either for the penultimate episode or the finale. There's only two episodes left, right? Two. Oh my goodness!
1: And um, I know you didn't want to. I, I know you didn't want me to say anything about the preview, and I'm not gonna tell you any specifics uh-huh. at all. The only thing I will tell you is. The footage that they showed after, we've already seen in previous previews. Okay. so there's no there's no new kind of and they
0: probably can't show anything without spoiling it so yeah,
1: yeah well,
0: I am very excited this is the thing that just gets me so lit up and that's why I just know that I was meant for this job because I get so excited when I watch great performances and and see great casting and then coming up soon we're going to have Miss Paget Brewster joining us to talk excited. about all different kinds of things she's and she knows how to play these roles for sure we're going to talk to her about what's going on in her life all right anything Else, Bray, bro.
1: I think that's it. That's all I got.
0: Okay, that's all I've got. All right. So for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.
1: Ciao.